And now the voice of the Miami Marlins, one of the most overachieving teams in baseball and uh, one of, if I say so myself, the best broadcast booths in baseball, led by this man right here, Paul Severino. Paul, thank you so much for joining me once again on this episode of Miami Mic'd Up. It's good to have you back. It's great to be back. It's uh, nice to be back at mid-season where people are clamoring for more Marlins content uh, wherever they can get it. So it's uh, it's it's nice. It's been a fun run so far, and, and hopefully the most exciting parts of it are uh, in the final two months. Yes, hoping the best is still to come in this Marlins season. Um, it's been a heck of a ride so far. Before we get into the baseball side of things, Paul, I have to ask you, what is something recently outside of baseball, outside of work that has brought you joy? Oh my goodness. I've been um I've been pretty uh filled with Marlins games and I am mm-hmm. a boring individual, but I, I will say uh my my mother and uncle came to visit they were here for about three weeks. Part of it I was actually here for. <laughs> Some of it I wasn't. Uh so but we had uh, we had a little extra life, a little extra energy in the house for uh, for about three weeks, which was nice because uh it's just my wife and my son down here in Florida, so it was nice to have some visitors for three weeks and uh some flight delays, but they did get out last night. So, uh, oh but it was, it's always, it's always great to see. It's always great to see them. Yeah. Flight delays are a constant, I think, in anybody's visits right now, but good to have family actually <laughs> be able to make it into town because I know how difficult right. that's been for a lot of people. Uh, well, the Marlins headed into the break 14 games over 500. Um, unfortunately, they've now lost six straight coming out of the all-star break um, are sitting at the edge of that postseason picture. So before we get into everything that's gone right, because we will get into that momentarily, I want to know why do you think there's been such a, a slow start out of the gate here? You know, what have you seen from the Marlins over this last week? Is this just the lack of timely hitting? Like what's, what's gone on over the last week or so that they've lost six in a row? I mean, statistically speaking, that's probably what it is. Uh, they had a lot of opportunities late in the series in St. Louis and just couldn't cash in. And, and they've, again, they've played a lot of close games all season long. I mean, it, mm-hmm. best record in baseball, one run games, second best record in baseball and games decided by two runs or less. They're always playing a tight game, which uh, is a double edged sword because it makes you battle tested for. Uh, again, it's this final two month stretch, but it also makes it so that there's you know, uh, an added pressure every day. Uh, I think if you asked around that clubhouse or asked the manager, hey, uh, how many more laughers would you like uh, on the winning side? <laughs> and they'd say a lot more, uh, you know, not to not to have every and everybody wants to win every single night. And everybody knows that every uh, game is important because they all count the same. You, you win a game in April is the same as winning game 162. Um, so they all count the same, but it's just a, a matter of maybe not having those uh, bat handle grinding at bats every night and having to use five guys out of the bullpen to pick up big outs every single night. Um, I, I think that, that it would it would be uh, something that would be nice uh, and, and a welcome addition for everybody, um, even the broadcasters, for example. Yep. Uh, but we yep. love the tight games. I tell you what, <laughs> I feel like I have to do less with the tight games. It's just ninth inning, one run game. Yep, here, we go. In, here we go. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was just, uh, you know, everybody's got to deal with it. But was it a, a you know, timing gets thrown off uh, with the four days off? I don't know. It's mm-hmm. not that guys weren't taking swings or, or throwing or doing any of that stuff. It might just be that the Orioles are pretty darn good. They just yep. slipped into first place. Uh, Cardinals, everyone left for dead is 
seemingly a week away from being right back in the thick of things when it comes to the postseason race. So, um, you know, Skip said it a thousand times. Every team you play is really good, uh, yep. regardless of the record. So, I think um, getting home is going to be a good thing. They played well at home, so I think that uh, I think that that's going to be a key. They won't be home for long. They'll be home for about ten minutes before they go back right. on the road to the drop. <laughs> but they'll be in Florida for a while. Yeah, at least they get to stay within the state. You know, it's funny. This team's had sort of magic all year long, right? All these one-run games that come out on the on the right side of. It almost felt like inevitably there had to be a stretch where there were some close games that, that didn't go their way. I don't think that's the wearing off of that magic. It's just the inevitable uh, ups and downs of 162. Um, the Marlins could use some more timely hitting on the offensive side. Uh, one guy who has hit whether it's timely, not timely, waking up in the morning, going to bed at night, it's Luis Arise. Um, yeah. He's been unbelievable. He's hitting close to 400. We, you know, we know his numbers with two outs and runners in scoring position. I think he's hitting like 467 is presently the stat, something crazy like that. Which Spoke stinks, with might I add, which yeah. stinks. He should be hitting at least 468. Yeah, at least 500, right? You know, make it make it one out of every two. But, you know, and spoke with Danny Alvarez on the, on this program last week about the the impact that Luis has had in the clubhouse on top of his performance. You see Luis every single day. What is it that makes him the most unique as a player in your mind and is there a story that that sort of stands out that that exemplifies how incredible Luis Arias really is? I think as, uh, as as simple and maybe as silly as it seems, it's so important in a game of baseball. Um, he's happy every single day. And, yep. and that goes a long way um, just in having a positive mindset of always being uh, jovial. I mean, you see guys around the cage and, and they're, He's very rarely off on his own, and if he is, it's only because he's, you know, kind of working on getting his swing in a groove or something. But um, guys are always around him. They gravitate towards him. Um, you're always asked and you always wonder what comes first, the winning or the chemistry. I don't know mm. if anybody really has the right answer to that, um, but he's been one of those guys as a, as a new voice, and it's, it's not as though he's, you know, Albert Pools, for example, has been in the league for 20 years uh, to have that sort of – you know, leadership air about him, uh, you know, nationally at least. But you see it when you see it every single day, you understand it. He, he's that kind of guy. I think that um, that's kind of the, the off the field side of things. Uh, and he's a tremendous human being. He'll say hi to you every single oh, time yeah. you walk by him. I don't know if it's just because I gave him a fist bump once and then he got a hit that night. So then he felt like he had to do it every day. <laughs> Routine. Because uh, now he just gets it every day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's always happy. He's always smiling. He's always ready to go. And I think that that's what you need to have that sort of mindset in baseball, whether you go over five or five for five, the next day is the next day. And the next at bat is the next at bat. So, uh, it's always having that, that, that positive mindset of, of moving forward. Um, so, and, and I think obviously something that, that we've all talked about in one form or fashion of, or the other is his, um, his approach at the plate in terms of not striking out, putting the ball in play, fighting for an at-bat, um, you know, I think that that started to bleed over. I've mentioned it a lot in the last couple of weeks. It fluctuates a little bit between fourth mm -hmm. and fifth uh, in the National League. But the Marlins, who have struck out a ton the last handful of years, uh, and it's more than just one guy. One guy is not going to change these numbers, but they're fourth or fifth in terms of lowest strikeout rates in baseball. So they're putting the ball in play. Uh, part of that is the the new hitting philosophy with the new hitting group, 
and and part of that is is Luis Arise and Yuli Gurriel and guys like that, that that have come in and kind of said, all right, enough's enough with the strikeouts. Let's put the ball in play. Leads me to the double plays. I, I feel like yep. that's the 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 opposite side of this whole thing. They've had 103 of them as we speak right now, which is I believe 24th in the next closest team in the National League. Mm. It's a million of them. But as I've said on the broadcast before, it is a byproduct of the the approach of the results that we're getting now, which is less strikeouts. And yep. the old adage that I say all the time, you put the ball in play, good things will happen. And sometimes it's a little bleeder that gets through, and sometimes it's a Joey Wendell tapper that turns into two runs that, that win the game, and other times it's a double play. Um, the, those things sort of even out, but I think more times than not, you have something good happen if you put the ball in play. We've seen the huge difference from this Marlins team, right? It's a lot more, number one, entertaining to watch when you just have runners on base. Yeah. But number two, it's allowed for more more random mistakes from the other team to happen as well, right? You don't always even need to come through with, with a perfect line drive into the gap. Sometimes just a ground ball leads leads to success. And, you know, Luis Arise is the perfect example of that. It's funny, you know, a, a guy with such a positive mindset, you're like, oh, man, you know, baseball is such a game of failure. You fail, you know, seven out of ten times. Well, not not Luis Rice. Luis Rice is not failing quite <laughs> seven out of ten times. He gets to be a little more positive than everybody else. But actually, you know, another guy worth mentioning here because I think Arias having such an incredible year is allowing a lot of us to forget what Jorge Soler is doing in this lineup. You know, bouncing back from what was a struggle last season. He dealt with injuries. He dealt with a lack of success. It's year two in a Marlins uniform. And he's got 24 homers. He's got 50 plus ribbies. You know, what's impressed you most about the bounce back from Jorge Soler from year one to year two, because I think the the mental side of that, you know, having a, a poor year in your first year in, in a new uniform can be a little tough to overcome. And, and I would also, as you say that, it, it sparked something that I haven't really brought up too, too much. Um, but go back one step before that. He's going to a new team where he lives in South Florida mm-hmm. as the World Series MVP. Right. Right. You know, so it's like there's a little added there. Now, a World Series MVP at the end of the day means a great week or week and a half. It doesn't necessarily put a, a guy in the Hall of Fame. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's been fun to watch him out there every day because he's been out there every day. And that's obviously what we missed last year. I think it was mid-July, early July right. uh, was the last time we saw him. might have even been June that we saw him for the last time last year. I think so it was. I think it was late their June. games last year. 28th or something like yeah. that. I don't know. There's a lot of numbers and dates going through my head, and, and none of them are relevant to my everyday life. I can tell you that much <laughs> right now. I can tell you Caleb Smith gave up like 13 pop-ups on a Memorial Day Monday yep. in San Diego one day, but my <laughs> wife says, go get milk at the store, and I leave the house and don't remember what I left for. That's neither here nor there. Well, yeah, no, um, I, I live the same life, Paul. I live the same life. I completely get it. <laughs> so... So, so you're seeing him every day, um, yeah. which is important. And then I think that the way that the lineup has shaken out the last, maybe at this point it's two months, uh, the one and two in the order is as dynamic as maybe any in baseball or certainly up there. You know, a guy that's mm-hmm. that's hitting for, you know, 380, 400 average and constantly getting on base and a guy who's in the top four or five in terms of home runs. It's it's nice to watch. Those are good table setters. There's no question about yeah. it. So I think that, um, you know, a, a lot of things uh, – are better this year for Jorge, A, health and being on the field, B, comfort level, C, maybe the message is a little bit uh, different or clearer or whatever the case might be with the new hitting group. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the thing is I, I don't think 
it works for anybody, right? I mean, we've all gone through school. It's something that we can all relate to, right? None of us have been big leaguers, but we've all been through school. And you might have math in first grade all the way through college, but that ninth grade year, that teacher yeah. spoke to you for some reason. Did they make class fun? Was it just subject matter you understood? Did they speak a, a language that you could intake easily? That's just that's it's still the same way that it is with, uh, with athletes. No matter how great mm. the athlete is with their God-given talent, Sometimes it takes the coach uh, and that that message and that meshing of those relationships to to really help unlock something and um, and oh yeah plate discipline too. Uh, Jorge he's, he's yeah. staying inside the zone a lot and he's swinging at strikes a lot more often and uh, crazy that that helps. <laughs> I think you're right though where it's it's just a combination of things right. A lot of things have gone the right way from the moment last season ended to where we stand right now, whether it's the coaching staff, the additions of new guys to the order, the evolution of some players on this roster, you know, you could name Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz, Garrett Cooper having a stronger full season than he did last season, even though he had a really good first half. A lot of different guys who are performing under this new, you know, regime on the offensive side of the ball. Just a few more questions before I let you go, and it's it's the last offensive player that I want to highlight here. Everybody's ready for Dame time in Miami, but Dame time's been pretty fun. Uh, D- Dane Myers has been awesome since coming up and and being a part of this this lineup. And unfortunately, it was Jonathan Davis going down with an injury that forced Dane Myers into this sort of everyday center fielder role. But kids come out scorching hot offensively, and he's a really cool story. The way that his career has evolved over the years in the minor leagues. What's been the most fun about watching Dane Myers, and and what makes you think his success could be somewhat sustainable? Uh, well, I'll start with the second question there. Uh, I just in talking with Brent Brown uh, every day around the batting cage. Um, he's a guy who, again, we talk about that message. He's a guy who understands that message, and he's got a, mm. a, a pretty good understanding of what to do, what he is doing, and how to do what he's supposed to do, if that makes sense. So it's, it so it's about that evolution and all that kind of stuff. So he's he understands uh, hitting, so he can – his, uh, I, again, it's been whatever, 12, 11, 12 games, whatever it's been. Um, so I, I'm, nobody's putting him in the Hall of Fame just yet, even though of course. some people have called him Great Dane a couple of times. But um, <laughs> uh, but I, I think, but I think um, you know, it might be one of those things where, you know, hopefully slumps don't last too long. Um, right. a, a guy who basically out of the gate is not uh, afraid to use the other side of the field. Um, I mean, we've talked about Jesus Sanchez a, a lot with yeah. that and his – evolution of oh hey look there's hits over there i mean that's where Luis arise is making all of his money he's on the other side yep. of the field so there's hits there to the big part of the field um it, it is interesting too and i say this with all due respect which usually means you're going to say something disrespectful <laughs> but that's not what i'm doing here truly if not. you were to say that jazz was your third most productive center fielder and the marlins would be where they are on july 21st as we speak I think somebody would say, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, right. But credit the front office. They found Jonathan Davis uh, out of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not probably not the only one who had never heard of Dane Myers before he came up a week and a half ago. Uh, yeah. And and Jonathan Davis was tremendous in his month in the big leagues. Uh, another great story of perseverance, of making the most of an opportunity. Um, and so, uh, again, a, a hat tip to the front office on, on that one. Because there were, you know, I had some conversations with some people who make some decisions, and 
I was asking about other guys. Uh, right. The name on the list was Aaron Hicks, and he had just gotten released from the Yankees. I mm. said, what about a guy like Aaron Hicks? And the, we're looking, but. Um, we so it, it, yeah. So, it, so you know, again, that's why I'll, I'll always preface every uh, either on-air or off-air conversation with, I'm no scout, but, because mm. uh, I, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. But, um, yeah, you know, I think that they've they've really lucked out with the guys that have helped to fill the void for Jazz and and. Hopefully, when Jazz comes back, uh, we can say, with all due respect, those guys did a wonderful job, but Jazz is yep. back to patrol center field, and we can yep. flip the conversation that way. Yeah, can't wait to get Jazz back in the lineup, and I do think, you know, when you talk about this team losing six straight here, you know, could have used a guy like Jazz and, and his dynamic ability, whether it comes to power or speed on those bases, um, getting him back in the lineup will be a benefit. And, you know, hopefully that comes right around the time as, as some other additions at the trade deadline do. And before we talk about the trade deadline, let's talk about the pitching real quick. Then we'll do trade deadline and then I'll get you out of here. So the conversation I want to have halfway done with the coffee. Don't rush. <laughs> we got plenty of time. <laughs> this is actually happening this morning. Hey, everyone listening to this on Friday morning, we're actually recording fresh for you. So you've been listening to a conversation that's really happening as 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 we go forward. But uh, I want to talk to you about management of innings and Yuri Perez and everything that goes on there. But that's that could be its own podcast. So what I'm going to do is something a little more fun instead. I want you to pick one between Braxton Garrett and Jesus Lazardo as to who's been more of a joy to watch this season. And I'll preface this with, if either of you are listening, Brax and Jesus, he loves both of you equally. I'm not making him pick one to make the other one mad, but I want to highlight these pitchers. I know the two of them have had such a spectacular season, um, but which which one of them is, has sparked more joy for you, Paul Severino? So both is off the table. We've made that abundantly clear. I mean, you could, uh, if, if, look, man, if you want to, no, if you want to rope both would, of them I, into it, you can. Right. I was, I would say both, but for the yeah. purposes of this exercise, um, I would say Braxton Garrett because yeah. of the way that the industry has shifted in years, uh, in the last few years. So right now, it's all about velocity, 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 and throw as hard as you can for as long as you can. Register strikeouts, give up home runs, the whole thing. And Braxton is the opposite of that. Um, yep. And it's another one of those things I said a couple minutes ago, I'm no scout, but. So, and, I, and I've talked to um, Nick Fortes, who catches him uh, about this. I've talked to, I think I've even talked to Braxton about this, that if I notice something, people that are much smarter than me have seen it for a long time. So right. it must be really, really good. And the pitch calling and the combination of Braxton Garrett and Nick Fortes has been superb this year. And I think that he's, as Skip Schumacher says every fifth day, he's a pitch maker. And it's fun to watch a guy pitch, not just yep. throw hard, not just rack up 15 strikeouts a night. That's fun. But those special dominant performances are few and far between. Um, you know, unless you're Jacob deGrom in your prime, unless you're Max Scherzer in your prime, those are few and far between. And what's been great, and both of these guys have done this a handful of times, to think Jesus in his last start, because he was great in the yep. handful before that. Braxton's done it in his last two or three starts. They haven't had their A stuff, but they haven't gotten knocked out in the second inning either. And those are the, the games where... Again, I see some growth, and I would imagine that a guy like Mel Stottlemyre Jr., the pitching coach, sees some sort of growth where it's like, okay, I don't have it today, but I am not going to be out of here in two innings 
and I'm not going to be out of here when it's, you know, 13 to one. Uh, and Braxton had one of those games this year. Yep. Um, and he, he kind of had to wear it. And since then, he's been a much better pitcher. Uh, you, you always you look for those little starting points of, okay, he, he struggled until this, or he was great since that, or whatever it is. Hmm. And and it was it was one of those, like, I don't want to say rock bottom moments because it was just one day. I think, um, you know, I've had one bad day. Just one. Just one. I've only yeah, had one. one. <laughs> 39 years. Uh, so I'm fortunate in that regard, but, um, but it was just, it was like one bad day and, but it's like yeah. making sure that that one bad one doesn't turn into two bad starts to a bad month, to a bad first half, to a lost mm-hmm. season. And man, he got right back on the horse. Um, and, and Jesus, I mean, there was a start and I, I mentioned it the other day and I, I haven't had a chance to catch up with him yet on this, but yeah. there was a, the start in uh, Seattle, which was at the, at the beginning, just before this, that, that run, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, started with DC in the back half of that start, and he went 26 in the third score of innings, um, where it just looked like he was kind of out there, like, man, today really sucks. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the pitchers are going. I got no feel for this, no feel for that. It's like, man, I, I, this, I want this day to end. It's kind of how it looked, right? Yeah. And and what did he do? He came back and then went on the best run of five starts in his career. It was a 1-1-4 ERA in five starts. was the best run in his career. So uh, long story long and uh, couching answers and and hedging (laughs) bet answers, uh, I'll say both. uh, But but I'll say Braxton Garrett uh, just because of, again, comparing him to what the industry has asked of pitchers and what he is, um, I'll, I'll say him. I know that I was putting you through a very tough question there, Paul. You did a really good job managing and weaving your way to make sure nobody gets upset. No, I. I the reality is, is, is both of these guys have been so much fun to watch. And realistically, Lazardo's pitchability has been there as well this year. That's been the most fun part of his growth is, is watching him turn into more of that sort of, hey, I pitch, I don't just throw type of guy. And, you know, I think Brax brings us that level of, of excitement in the same way that Luis Arias does right which is you're breaking the mold of what we expect so yes Jorge Soler is really fun to watch at 24 home runs and that's been awesome but a guy hitting 380 just doesn't make any sense and I think it's the same thing with <laughs> Jesus versus Brax where you're watching a guy with Jesus's stuff it makes some sense where with Brax you know you're watching him get guys out in a way that that isn't done a lot right now um reminds me a bit of a guy in in Chicago and Kyle Hendricks um and that leads us yeah. perfectly to trade deadline conversation which is where we'll wrap up um as long as things get back on track over the weekend and it doesn't become a a 10 to 15 game losing streak here all of a sudden for the marlins uh they plan to be buyers here at the deadline i think that's that's probably not changing regardless of what happens this weekend um what type of player do you imagine the marlins could target at the deadline in your view what is what are this team's biggest needs i don't know if they're going to end up uh, on the phone about this type of player um, or end up with this type of player, a Goldschmidt and Arenado, one of the really big fish, right? Sure. Um, Pun intended. But I, but I think impact player is what they need. Um, you know, I think an impact bat is what they need. You could probably make a case that they might need to throw in another starting pitcher. Um, so, so – it's going to be a big ask because I, 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 you know, I think if you ask around, they're not at the um, finishing touches stage of right. like, hey, we just need the, 
the the righty reliever and the stolen base threat. Like they're not at that point yet. Like I think yeah. that there's still room for some market improvement offensively. They're still second in the league in in runs per game. Um, and again, that leads us all back to where we kind of started with the one run game thing and the close games. I, I think a few more laughers would help. Um, but whoever that player players are uh, hope to be they're going to have to fit a profile. And I think that that's, uh, again, just from conversations that I've had with some people, um, is is what's most important is that you can't just bring in the superstar uh, if the superstar doesn't fit what you're doing, right? Yeah. Because that superstar might be a superstar in another realm for other reasons. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like – like they're not going to get Aaron Judge, right? But you can ha you can't have a lineup sure. of nine Aaron Judges. It's it's, yeah. it's just not going to work. Um, so you need to have the same reason why Arise and Solaire play off each other so much is because they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, yeah. but they both fit a profile. You can't have nine guys who are big homer high strikeout guys. That that's just not what they're looking for right now. So you're probably going to have to try to find someone. Um, uh, I'll, I'll stay away from answering what positions are needed. Uh, but, you know, I, I think you're going to have to find somebody who can uh, control the strike zone, um, yep. find a way to get on base, cut down on strikeouts, situational hitter. I mean, you're 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 looking for uh, and do all that on an impact level. Um, I, I not to say that they won't look for someone like a utility type of player, sure. but I'm, I'm thinking that the most important need um, you know, if you're making up a shopping list is is impact bat and and probably starting pitcher as well, yep. just because you you want to have um, you want to have some insurance for for your rotation. I mean, three yep. games out of the out of the break, they were going with a bullpen game. Uh, sounds yep. like they're doing it again tomorrow. Um, and there's a few days off in here. So maybe they'll be a little bit limited on, on how often that happens. But. I think looking for a bat and an arm is probably uh, at, at the top of the shopping list. Um, but I don't think it's a situation where, you know, you'd make a dumb deal from your perspective sure. and what you give up in order to get what you need just to yep. satisfy, uh, you know, that to just to just to bring someone in. Like, I, I don't think that, OK, here's our top 47 prospects. Can yep. we have Shohei Otani? Like, I don't know if that's going to happen, everybody. Right. Let's just right. back it down a notch. So we'll we'll see what happens. But if um, they do get Otani for the top 47 prospects, everyone is invited on Paulie's preview and Reno recap. Yes. Everyone. Yes, everybody, everybody joins. Uh, I think one I big think, selfie version of it. <laughs> yes, well, it'll be like the uh, the Oscar selfie if you remember back in the day where they tried to yeah. fit everybody into it. It'll be everybody at Lone Depot Park just getting real excited about Shohei. Otani. I was wrong. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I uh, I think you're right. Where a uh, one starting pitcher and an impact bat, then you get Jazz Chisholm Jr. and potentially a Yuri Perez who you bring back up, and all of a sudden you've really got some reinforcements for a roster that's that's really played well so far this season. Um, one guy I'm just going to throw out there as uh, a target that seems insane, but a, a route, there's a route to him in my mind, <laughs> is Juan Soto. I think that he, if the Padres continue to underachieve, this this team has some uh, good, young, major league ready outfielders as well as a number of arms in that 
uh, stockpile of their farm system, a Padres team that may not want to pay another superstar, a Juan Soto who's only got one year of money left on his deal after this one. So it's not just a rental. You could shop him again at next deadline and recoup some of what you give up now. Just a thought. Just a, just, a, just a thing to throw out there and mention at the end of this podcast that nobody's probably listening to at this point. But uh, <laughs> Paul Severino, thank you, sir, for, for keeping the audience for us. Uh, you can follow him at Severino MLB on Twitter to watch the poly previews and Reno recaps <laughs> that have been ever present um, on our social media pages. Uh, follow at Bally Marlins as well on Twitter to stay tuned with uh, a lot of Paul's great quips from the broadcast uh, clipped off by yours truly and our incredible social team outside of me. They'll be doing a lot more of the work over the next week. Paul Severino, thank you so much for, for joining me today on my Miami Miked Up. Enjoy this run toward the trade deadline and throughout the rest of the season. My pleasure, JT. Good to talk to you, buddy.